0: So this morning we heard two of my favorite scripture texts. I know you've never heard me say that before. But in fact, Scott and I chose the Isaiah text for our wedding. It might seem like an odd choice for a wedding, but it fit our situation so well as I think it fits today's Advent theme of joy. Both Scott and I had come out of lonely, wilderness, desert-like first marriages, and this new relationship was indeed the wilderness blossoming with new life, gushing with living waters. There was so much joy in our hearts at our amazing gift of love in and for each other, and Isaiah just seemed to say it better than we could. That joy, that reversal of fortunes, is why it's been chosen, actually, for today's worship. As I told the children, this is God at Sunday, simply Latin for Joy Sunday. It's the Sunday that is supposed to wake us up and remind us that the waiting will end. The suffering of the world will find its solution in God's gift of love. Advent, of course, is that time of waiting waiting for heaven to touch earth as never before. That time of preparing our hearts to receive the greatest gift the world has ever known, love incarnate to walk and live and abide among us. And Godet Sunday says it is real. The waiting will end, the birth of love will be here before you know it. Sometimes I think that children understand Godet Sunday better than any of us. They long for Christmas, and to their young lives, the waiting for that magical day can indeed seem endless. But Gaudette Sunday reminds them and us, it is coming, don't despair, don't give up. The desert will bloom in the wilderness of waiting. But I also love this tender story of Matthew's about Joseph's dilemma. Poor Joe. He gets such little billing in the whole Christmas story. In fact, Matthew is the only one who gives us much of anything about him. In Luke's gospel, Joseph seems to just be Mary's sidekick. He is mentioned, but only in relation to her, and the story is all from her side of the events. But Matthew, at least, gives us two short and quick glimpses into this character, And I dare say that after spending some time with the little tidbits that we get, I find him to be one of the most interesting players in the whole Christmas story. Surely his story has a different edge than the others who hear the famous words from an angel, Do not be afraid. While we did not hear about him in worship this year, you may remember the story of Zechariah, married to Mary's cousin Elizabeth, childless in their old age, and he got the scare of his life in the temple as he went about his work one day, a startling visitation and proclamation from that angel, Gabriel. And while Zachariah had every reason to be afraid at first, what the angel shared with him was the answer to long-lost prayers, a baby, finally, in their old age. So while Zachariah indeed stood in fear, he left in joyous amazement with the promise of a long-awaited baby on the way. Then last week you heard about Mary. She too was visited by that angel Gabriel, which caused her entire spirit to be struck with fear and dread. She got similar news to Zachariah. A baby was on the way. Now, this news was a bit more confusing because in no way was this an answer to a prayer of Mary's. No, in fact, it was just the opposite because there really was no earthly way for her to be expecting a baby anytime soon. She was engaged, but not fully married yet. So the startle of this news lay more in the logistics, the house. How can this be? When she heard all the angel had to say about this baby and God... Mary decided she could pull herself together and say yes to this most unexpected, unusual pronouncement. And now today, it's Joseph's turn. But Joseph's story seems to work in reverse. Joseph gets the news about the baby first, before any angel comes to prepare him. And this is the crux of the story for me. In order to understand this better, we need to know a bit about ancient marriage customs. There were two phases or steps to marriage for our Jewish ancestors. In the first step, a couple became engaged. This was most often arranged through their fathers, but it was a legally binding state. So while we still use the word engaged to mean intent to marry, the significance was far greater and serious in Mary and Joseph's day. A contract had been entered into and could not easily be broken. It was not just a matter of the heart, or changing one's mind, or simply returning a fancy ring and saying, I'm out of here. Hearts might be broken today in these ways, but lives and livelihoods continue on. But as I said in Mary and Joseph's case, this engagement phase was legally binding, and it led eventually into the full marriage where the couple would live together. In most cases, the marriage itself was a huge feast and a celebration where the groom and his family would actually go to the bride's home and take her in a big procession to live at the groom's house. And that's when real married life began. That's when the possibility of babies began. So, when Joseph gets the news that Mary is pregnant, it is between these two steps or phases. They are engaged. But the formal marriage living together has not taken place. But remember, it's a legally binding contract. And notice in the scripture that he is called her husband Joseph, even at this stage. So the drama of this story today begins between these two steps, and it puts the entire marriage in jeopardy. For there would only be one way for Mary to find herself in the state she is in without Joseph knowing anything about it. And that only explanation is that Mary has been unfaithful to Joseph. As well, she has been sexually active outside of full marriage, a sin of the greatest magnitude back in that day. This is not good news for Joseph. Well, not yet anyway. Let's take a moment to stand in his sandals. The news he hears, this news of a baby, is nothing more than the news of total betrayal by his wife. Mary has dissed Joseph, his entire family, her own family, their faith, everything that they supposedly hold near and dear. Can you imagine how he feels? Utter confusion, I'm sure. How? How could she do this to me? And Why? Why in the world would she do this to me, to us? Was it me? Is there something about me that has caused her to turn against me? I think it's not too hard to begin to imagine the whirlwind in which he finds his heart and his mind, the feelings of loss, deep, deep sadness, the total upheaval of his world, a maelstrom of emotions, disbelief, even disgust and he is surely hurt, angry, confused, embarrassed. We've all been there, right? Think of some time when someone you loved and trusted deeply did something that hurt you to your core. Some time when you were betrayed or lied to or a promise broken by someone very close to you. It is the rare adult who has not been in Joseph's sandals at one time or another. And when you think about that event for you, when you relive the pain and the angst, what else do you remember? Because for most of us, there is a need to hurt back, at least initially. We want to even the score somehow. We want this person to really understand what they have done to us, what hurt they have inflicted. And the only way to do that is to make sure they hurt as well. It's just natural. And here's where I think Joseph's story is so different from Zachariah's and Mary's. You see, they weren't hurt first, were they? When the angel came to them, the news was certainly startling, but they were standing on firm footing. They had not just had the rug yanked out from under them. But Joseph? Well, his old world seems to be crumbling all around him. His future, his dreams for a life with Mary that would be long and filled with children and laughter and love. But now, now all of that is gone. The dream is gone, the promise is broken, and his self-confidence has been shattered. He's got limited choices. Clearly, the marriage is off. But the implications are literally life-threatening. If he exposes Mary and her crime, she could be subject to death. He has another option, and that is to quietly divorce her. Remember, they are in this legal contract. So divorce is an option to get out of the final second step of the full marriage. If he quietly divorces her, he will end the legal requirement to go through with the marriage and her life should be spared. Of course, she will be an outcast for the rest of her life. Her name will be marred and she will be forced to the fringes of society. It is likely her own family will disown her. And as a woman, she will have no supportable means of life. And of course, she won't just be a woman out there on her own. She will also have this child. What a terrible set of choices for him. Each seems worse than the other. And remember, add in his hurt and dismay, and I say, what would we do? It can be hard for us to imagine, for there aren't quite so many places in our society today where we face such awful choices, but they do exist. But despite his own hurt and anger, Joseph decides to quietly divorce her. And to him, I am sure it seems like the more humane decision. And so it is settled. The marriage will be called off through the divorce. Mary will go her separate way. And Joseph will tend to his broken heart and try to find a different future. A future without Mary. Yes, it is decided. And now... Now that his heart is broken and his world is shattered, now the angel comes to Joseph. And what does the angel say? You guessed it. Do not be afraid, Joseph. In fact, this message is pretty direct and concrete. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Poor Joseph, as if his head and heart aren't spinning enough. Just when he's finally settled on what the next steps will be, he is asked to reconsider, and reconsider in a big way. Don't end this marriage, Joseph. Don't be afraid to marry Mary. Let her have this child and stand by her side. In the midst of his personal pain, the angel says, Don't be afraid. Don't let go. Stay the course. Choose the better way, God's way. And here's where Joseph's story is so interesting to me, because here he is asked to rethink everything he thinks he knows about God, about faith or religion, about family, about duty, about the law, about Tara, because the world, everyone around him, would tell him otherwise, right? The world would say the right thing, the religious thing to do, is to quietly divorce her. Think of your family, Joseph. Think of yourself, Joseph. Think of what she's done to you. Think of what the Torah teaches, Joseph. Think of all that, Joseph, and do the right thing. And the angel says, do not be afraid to do this other thing. Do not be afraid to hear God's voice calling just to you. Do not be afraid to follow God and God alone. And oh my, that is just what Joseph does. He dismisses all the wisdom of the world and follows God's crazy plan. He doesn't get any glorious speech or song like both Mary and Zechariah get, no. He just does the right thing. What he initially understands as the righteous thing to do, quietly divorce her, is challenged by God, and so he risks becoming disobedient in the eyes of the world to remain righteous with God a guy. In so many ways for me, this makes Joseph's yes even more astounding than Mary's. Without Joseph's yes, God's whole plan could have gone up in smoke. Without Joseph by her side, how would Mary bear and raise this amazing child? We focus so much on Mary's yes, which is indeed magnificent. But Joseph's yes is fraught with so much more human conflict for me. His inner turmoil is palpable and resonates with so many spots in my own life. Yet despite his sorrow and dismay at the outward appearances of the situation, he is able to let go of his fears and hurt, very well-founded fears and hurt, and find a better way, the way that God chooses, the way that God invites him into. I can never preach this story without re-watching the opening scenes of Pasolini's film, The Gospel According to Saint Matthew. The 1964 black and white film opens with Mary framed by a stone archway, her hair covered in a head shawl. Her eyes are downcast, then slowly lift up searching. Her face holds a quality of wonder and question as she gazes intently at something or someone, and then the camera swivels, and we see Joseph, his face filled with anguish, with questions, with hurt and disbelief. They communicate only through their eyes, for the longest time, each staring at the other with intense feelings. The camera then zooms out to frame Mary completely in the courtyard of a poor house, pregnant beyond doubt. She continues to gaze at Joseph with questions filling her eyes. What will you do? Will you be able to accept this? There is a resolute strength in her face, yet also longing and trepidation. His face is filled with doubt and bewilderment, and you can feel his heart tearing apart. You can see the struggle on his face as he ponders what he now knows. Eventually, without a word between them, he turns and slowly walks the stone-strewn path away from the house. He stumbles upon a group of young boys playing, the questions in his heart and mind continuing to play out in his face, and he lays down and falls into a sleep, and then the young angel appears to tell him not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife, what to name this child, whose child this is. The angel is the only one to speak. And then with the words of the prophets echoing in the background, Joseph quickly makes his way back to Mary. And once again, without any words, his acceptance of God's plan plays shyly and quietly across his face. And with a slight nod of his head, he tells her he is in. He too will listen to this angel and choose a better way, a way for her and this miraculous child. For me, it captures the reality that both of these two faced, the difficult circumstances and decisions that Joseph faced, the challenging emotions that each one wrestled with, and without a word between them, Pasolini gloriously shares the miracle of Joseph's yes. Joseph chooses a better way, God's way. In doing so, he learns that he does not need to be afraid. By following God and not the world, Joseph is able to keep God's plans in motion. I'm sure he was still filled with much uncertainty. He had no idea where all this would lead. But he had trust in God and God's plans as better than what the world would tell him. Being righteous means being right with God. In other words, being in line with God's dreams and desires. When we are right with God, everything else does fall into place eventually, and the world's noisy judgments fall away into the background. So this Advent, I ask you, where is fear or hurt or disappointment keeping you from choosing a better way? Where are the ways of the world drowning out God's dreams for you? Where is the world shouting at you in fear? And wherever that is, Matthew wants us to follow Joseph's lead. Matthew is telling us to do what Joseph did, to choose the better way, believe the message and become a part of the story. Ignore the conflicts swirling around you. Ignore the loud voices of what should be and listen instead for that still small voice of an angel saying, do not be afraid, choose this better way. Amen.